Welcome to the Conscious Woman Podcast. This is your host, Pavna Dur. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and insightful conversations on a range of topics that will support you in both living and leading more consciously. From conscious leadership and conscious inclusion to conscious eating, conscious parenting and conscious fashion. This podcast is in conjunction with the leadership development work that we do to support women leaders in leading with mindfulness and compassion. To learn more, please go to shinomics.com. Welcome, friends, to the Conscious Woman Podcast. On today's episode, we have the incredible Samir Chatta talking about compassionate and inclusive leadership. Samir is a two-time CEO. Currently, he is the CEO of KPMG Global Services that employs over 12,000 professionals across four locations in India. Prior to that, he spent eight years with Barclays Shared Services, initially as the COO and then CEO for close to six years. Samir is passionate about creating an inclusive and diverse workforce and under his leadership, KPMG has consistently ranked among the top companies to work for, for women. In this episode, Samir talks about how leaders can consciously and with compassion create an inclusive workplace, especially so for women. As always, Samir speaks from the heart and shares practical insights and tips that anyone interested in diversity can benefit from. So let's dive in. Welcome, Samir, to the Conscious Woman Podcast. I am excited to speak to you today about leading with compassion and creating an inclusive organization, especially so for women, because I think that's an important conversation. So thank you so much for joining us for this. Not at all, Bhavna. Grat. Delighted to be here. And, you know, as we've discussed before, I really like the content you put out on LinkedIn. I think you have a nice different slant on a lot of topics and they're in bite-sized videos so very easy to consume so keep going on that sir. thank you so much samir samir so here you are the ceo of a large organization kpmg global services not everyone gets to go all the way to the top i know many of us aspire to do this but really only a small percentage get to the level you are so i'm curious samir if we were to look back to your early years would did a young Samir have this aspiration of becoming a, a CEO one day? Yeah, so I think, so no, the young Samir didn't have any such aspiration. I think, you know, how life plays out in the future, you know, is, is, is the result, I guess, of a lot of things that happen over a period of time. But yes, I will say a couple of things that I've not been, I've not been hesitant to make changes where appropriate. So I'm a chartered accountant by education. I started off with Nestle, which is a FMCG company, then made the shift to banking where I worked in Bank of America in, in consumer banking. Then I moved to the offshore industry. I joined a company called ICSE OneSource. From there, I joined an investment banking, you know, global in-house center at GIC in Lehman Brothers. was there for a while, then came back to banking again, consumer banking in Barclays, where I was, you know, the chief operating officer and then the CEO for a number of years. And then made the shift into a big four, where I'm currently the CEO of KPMG Global Services. So I guess I've, I've not been hesitant to make changes as you know I have felt appropriate, depending on roles, circumstances, etc. And B, I guess the one thing I have done in every role or ever since I've, I've been, been working is that I really put my head down and get stuck into stuff, right? So if I don't understand something, my way of overcoming 
a lack of comfort that you invariably feel when you're dealing with something new is just get stuck into it and you know keep going at it till you become comfortable and i guess i've done that and then i think it'll be remiss of me to say that you know oftentimes in life you have to be at the right place at the right time and you know put another way you know luck plays a role i guess in where all of us lead in life so i i don't think coming back to your question that i had a very defined career you know aspiration in mind other than to do a great job in whatever i was doing at that point and one thing samir i have to say i'm sure this has played a role and and i've heard you talk about it as well is you do talk a lot about leading with humility in fact one thing you shared recently which i really liked was your advice to everyone was that one of the ways to stay grounded as a leader is to ask yourself the question if my team was to elect myself would they still choose me i don't know how many leaders are asking this question i know you are and i would love to know where is the sensibility coming from so see i i i feel that you know the one of the worst leadership traits in my book is arrogance right and the converse of that is humility and i also feel like i you know there is i i won't go into the detail of the story for the benefit of your listeners and i'm not sure if you have read the story yourself it's a story about it's called who packed your parachute which i narrate multiple times at multiple forums etc and it's a fantastic story about how none of us succeed by ourselves right yeah. we all need somebody and we are all surrounded by people who make us succeed and you know whether that's your friends your family your mentors your team you know there's an infinite number of people who are actually getting you to where you are i mean your competence of course your hard work of course your talent of course but i think i've often felt that even individual sports stars like let's say federer or you know djokovic etc they they don't succeed just by themselves they have coaches they have mentors they have training partners they have family friends and so on and so forth so i i believe that i do i i genuinely believe this and not trying to sound you know cliched about it but you know i would love that people appreciate me and respect me for who i am as an individual and not necessarily the role i hold right and i i think their humility has a large part to play in the fact that okay so i am the ceo of an organization and you know it is what it is but that doesn't mean that i have to develop airs around me that doesn't mean i have to develop a sense of inaccessibility around me doesn't mean i have to start interacting with people in a slightly different way hmm. great and i wanted to ask you about humility because i do think it is an essential ingredient in leading with compassion which is really my my next question to you samir because i i know you openly say you are someone who leads with both your head and your heart and if we look at the recent the recent few years the pandemic we know it has been tough on on all of us but particularly so for for women and the data now shows clearly women experienced burnout at far greater levels than their male counterparts they continue to do so and in fact part of what drove the great resignation as it's been called is is women feeling like they just don't want to make those difficult trade-offs anymore between work and their health or between their work life and their family life so in in other words what we need we what we need is leaders who lead with compassion who are prioritizing the well-being of everyone and who are creating compassionate organizations because that's honestly one of one of 
the the most effective ways to keep women in the workforce which is why i'd love to hear your thoughts on how are you thinking about this yes yeah, so i think that's a great point and of course your point your 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 question was more centered around women and i think the answer sits on both sides and i i think having a caring organization and when you say a caring organization an organization is an inanimate object right so ultimately it boils down to having caring leaders right yeah. and and i feel that compassion and culture if i if, if i was to link the two are a fu- function of both the hardware and the software of the term and the hardware is you know the policies you have in place so for example we've got a well-being policy which is not just physical well-being that you're physically unwell but emotional well-being you know mental well-being you, you, you're not feeling your full self and you decide to take some time off we have caregivers leave we have you know flexible work options we are in either case working in the hybrid option so one is that you have the hardware of frameworks and policies in place and i feel that is the simpler thing to do because you know one can always implement policies in an organization but the software part is much harder which is the actual culture how do those policies get interpreted on the ground you know how do managers actually view flexibility and how does a colleague experience the culture of an organization in person so i spend you know a bunch of time with let's say new joiners directors in the organizations you know you have events you 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 meet with some people and generally speaking i ask you know new hires how do they feel about the company and they will will generally tell me that they find kgs a really friendly place a nice easy place they don't feel that they really had to struggle to settle in etc and i think in a period where you know so many colleagues have been onboarded in a virtual environment that's all the more credible that that's the culture that is seeping through and i think there is an obligation on you know i always tell everybody that uh, you know i'm i'm actually the chief culture officer of this company right and while we have actually a culture leader and i keep joking with her that actually i'm the chief culture officer because it's my role and my leadership team's role to actually role model those behaviors so i i feel to drive compassion you need to be very intentional about it and you need to be very conscious about it right so you need to actually make sure that what me and the leadership team as spouse flows into their leadership team then their and so on and so forth and how do you get to know that it's working i guess colleague surveys pulse surveys when you talk to people if you walk the floors if you call up people you will get a general sense of you know is the culture of the organization in line with what you want to do and i think you know the just just to summarize the hardware is easy right it's a software which is actually very difficult and it needs sustained effort over a period of time to make sure that you know that experience doesn't get diluted yeah absolutely yeah. and and i'm i'm so glad you you pointed out this difference between how you're defining it as hardware versus software and and in in it, what i've seen in terms of the research it is exactly that it's the difference between the macro and the micro and at the macro level yes a lot of organizations have all the right policies and frameworks in place but the the tricky part now or where the work still needs to be done is at the level of the micro because yeah. one of the things we've seen and and we we ran an interesting survey last year in fact where we where we asked we we were curious to know when women leave whether they're leaving the workforce entirely or whether they're moving from one organization to another what's causing them to leave and what we've seen is the biggest myth out there is that women leave primarily for personal reasons for work life balance or it's for some changes in their personal life but the truth is and what a lot of women shared with us is they leave 
when they feel undervalued, when they feel unsupported. They leave because of an accumulation of micro inequities over the course of their, 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 their work experience. So yeah, absolutely to your point, the software is so essential. So how do we, how are you ensuring that the culture that you're creating really trickles down to that level of everyday interactions? Because that's what really determines whether somebody feels that sense of belonging or not. And, and, and again, I think Bhavna, as I said, there are, let's say, episodic events like surveys which tell you the mood of the organization, how they're doing. It's to do with, you know, the HR team staying close to people, trying to understand, you know, how people are feeling. It's each individual team having some structure of meetings, skip levels, forums where, you know, people can come together and talk about things. At the, again, at the macro level, you know, one thing we do is we look at, you know, so just to back up, our overall male-female ratio right now is 46% female. So, you know, we are doing pretty good in terms of having an almost equitable organization at the overall level. It's 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 at the 30% level for managers and above and about 46% overall. But the point is that, you know, we look at promotion data by male and female separately. We look at salary data by male and female. We look at rating data by male and female just to make sure there's no unconscious or conscious bias creeping into, you know, the processes that you have in place. And and, and I think you make a good point because I often feel that while, you know, me and my leadership team have a important role in frameworks, policy, role modeling and other elements, you know, to drive that culture. But ultimately, the experience of KPMG or any organization for an individual is their manager and probably those five or six people around them. And that's what the yeah. culture is. Right. And therefore, I am at pains to at every manager, associate, director, director forum that I go to, I tell them that please understand, right, that the leadership shadow that you are casting, that is the one that is important. It's not so much to do with me or my team. Of course, we have a part to play. But as I said, our part is more macro. And to the point you made, the micro level experiences are what make sure that an organization is actually, you know, embedding that culture. And, and honestly, the amount of hiring that is getting done, you're assembling cultures from different organizations, right? How do you blend them into your own organization's culture? And I think the other thing about driving the right culture is that you have to be vocal about it. You have to be encouraging people right. to speak up. You have to be taking visible action when things go wrong and people are behaving inappropriately. So if a sexual harassment complaint comes in, you have to deal with it with the seriousness with it needs to be dealt with, right? You need to be calling out issues. If, you know, there are integrity violations happening, you have to be able to speak about them openly so that people know that this is not acceptable behavior or this is acceptable behavior. So I think it's a combination of things. It's not easy at all. And, you know, it requires concerted effort over time. It's not like a program or a project that you do and you say, okay, it's done. You know, I just think it's constantly work in progress. Yes. The the other thing that, that also helps and contributes to this culture of inclusion is is allyship. And and Samir, you definitely I, I see you as a, a strong ally when it comes to creating that culture of inclusion for women and, and everyone really. And in fact, another another thing you shared recently, I, I really appreciated, which was an example of two colleagues where I believe the manager yeah. had asked someone to take on work that she wasn't initially ready for but she went on to do really well in that role and then when you congratulated her her response was of course because he showed so much faith in my in my abilities and that made all the difference and frankly i can honestly share so many similar stories from from my own experience of women 
that have said what really made a difference when they look at their leadership journey was a manager a leader who who believed in them when they didn't fully see their fullest potential and that became a tipping point in their in their career so how do we how do we create more of this how do we create more 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 allies more 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 leaders more more mentors and sponsors that that don't always wait for women to to raise their hand because we know sometimes our cultural conditioning gets in the way of us not always raising our hand but these gentle nudges we know work so i i i'd love i'd love to hear more about this from you like how do we how do we create more more allies and and, and i think again bhavna it's probably more of the same of what i've said right it's ultimately speaking if you give intentional focus to something usually change happens right because if you make it important now i also feel that agendas agendas like inclusion and diversity equity you know these need to be driven from the top down because i think in the hubbub of running businesses and the hubbub of you know doing your role we often get wired into the hard metrics of financials and how you're performing and business performance etc and this becomes something that you feel is important but often you could turn around and say you know i'll get to it when i get to it right now i have to do you know the stuff which is fairly the classic things that you think about when you're thinking of a business performance scorecard and and i think if you look at the metrics so we publish quarterly reports of how we are doing on diversity how we are doing on and we are talking about one element of diversity which is a large one which is women but you know what i'm saying applies to a lot of the other elements of diversity but effectively speaking you know so we have a cohort of women who goes through a women ship program and so when i speak to them i speak to every batch and i always say one thing to them i always say you know if anything you have to do please pay it forward yeah say i am going to pick one or two women in my team and i am going to be the one who actually sponsors them and you know mentorship is the more i guess the the thing that gets talked about more but i personally feel sponsorship is very powerful right sponsorship is actually taking ownership of somebody and saying i am actually going to make this person visible i'm going to make them believe in their capabilities probably even more than they believe in their capabilities and i'm going to keep nudging them saying hey there's a role here do you want to have a look at this hey you know is this happening and not happening and i think if you can percolate that down into you know the organization and again how does one percolate it down is through concerted effort right mm-hmm. you have programs so for example we have you spoke about microaggression somewhere in 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 your remarks and so we have a unconscious bias training program that we run a lot of our colleagues through just so that they're aware of you know the kind of biases you have i mean given they're unconscious i think the first step is in just being aware of the fact that they that they exist and i i think you know we 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 kind of like to drive a culture where you're sponsoring people and again i'll say that i always tell women leaders and male leaders that hey at the fundamental level please do not move away from the thought process that this is about competence in the first instance and diversity in the second instance so i am not wanting to hire women i'm wanting mm-hmm. to hire and develop competent women because often times this can come a you know a metric driven exercise where a lot of us are left brained in the corporate world and it's easy to actually move metrics right the idea is can you get competent people in the first instance and the sub level is whether they're women or any other form of diversity you think of. you know and i have to say the other thing apna and I'm, you know I, the one thing i will say that i have started telling my team of late is that you know language is an important thing and our words make a difference and i i sometimes feel you know people will use phrases like 
we are doing a diversity hire i i just don't mm-hmm. appreciate that phrase i mean you're hiring a woman or you're hiring somebody differently able or you're hiring a man or you're hiring someone you're not doing a diversity hire that in itself gives it a sense and a label of quotaism if if i can put it like that right i mean we are not trying to do diversity hiring we are trying to hire competent people of which you know women happen to be a subset no question i i do know for a fact when when women even have this element of doubt of whether am i a, am i just a diversity hire it, it really kills their their confidence right. so language right. is, is very important very important so you where where is your motivation for being such a strong ally coming from usually i see leaders are driven when they have there's something maybe in their personal life also driving them they have daughters and they want to create a more inclusive work work environment for them what's what's causing you to be an inclusive leader you know so i i don't have daughters so i have two sons and uh, yes. but i think the, the the basic there are two or three things one is of course there is a talent play at you know at work at the end of the day if 50% of the population is women then why would you try to deprive yourself of that and you know not tap into that the other is of course that you know we have a diverse set of customers they clearly want to engage with organizations which are diverse and so then fundamentally and very importantly bhavna i think it's just the right thing to do and and again this sounds a bit like you know cliched and you know you know apple pie kind of commentary but that is really important right how people feel is everything in an organization right because it they have to feel that i'm not an fte i'm a person i my voice is important i am heard you know there is a culture here which appreciates me for who i am they support me they have my back you know there are so many words which i can put out there but again the experience on the ground during covid i think you know as terrible as it was in so many respects i did think it gave organizations a great medium to show that when they say they are people centric are they really people centric did they really do things which actually help people during a very difficult emotional and physical time for a lot of people so i think you know my motivation like i said there is a talent play in it, but but also i i just think it's the right thing to do i i do feel all of us you know want to be treated in a certain way and all of us want to be in organizations where you know we are treated as individuals and i just think that you know it it's it's so easy to replicate a lot of again the hardware of an organization between one organization and the other it's very 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 difficult to replicate the culture of an organization right yes. and and i tell people often i said please appreciate that you know culture is one of those things in life where you'll value its existence by its absence not so much by its presence right and you know as we are aging and for sure i'm aging you know health is one of those things that you value by its absence you know as opposed to its presence right. and you know i i I always tell and we have you know colleagues who leave and they come back and you know they always say that actually the experience and the feeling of being part of this organization is very different and I and I feel that is a really powerful business asset that you know if you can get it right and if you can sustain it it can become a competitive advantage Yes absolutely as as Maya Angelou said you 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 may forget what you heard or what someone did exactly. but you never forget how someone made you what feel one of my favorite quotes of all yes so looking to the future now samir again focusing on 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 women because the situation right now i do believe is is quite 
concerning because if you look at now the formal participation of women in the in the workforce it's down to single digits and i'm still astonished by this number but the world bank recently came down came out with a report saying the the workforce participation rate is now down to 9% so looking to the future if we're going to create these inclusive organizations and as you said fully ta- tap into this talent pool paint a picture for us what does the future of work look like especially so let's say for women and how can women prepare themselves for for this future so i i think the actually the statistic to your point even when i read it i was quite amazed at that statistic but the the future of work a i think most organizations are currently grappling with what exactly is the right answer i think you know as we've come out of the covid period we're all trying to figure out what the right answer is but at least from our point of view right you know for us the future is clearly hybrid right and which basically means we don't expect you to come to work every day we expect you to come in you know two to three days a week if you want to come in every day you're more than welcome to come in but we'd expect you to come in you know two to three days a week is the way we put it and i think i think the i was at a conference recently in a in in one of our teams right and the there was a topic about the theme was ikigai and you know so so one of the things i i mentioned to everybody is there that if you think about work life balance and it gets talked about a lot right i recently had gone for a vacation to a place near darjeeling and uh, you know nice serene place and lovely taj property and it was, it, was, it was very relaxing and and while i was appreciating you know the views the tea gardens the hills etc etc at some point it did dawn on me as it often does when i'm feeling at peace in a vacation that actually it is my work that enables me to enjoy that part of my life mm-hmm. it allows me to have the financial security to actually for example you know go on vacations and and that's why i told everybody that in that conference that we have to think of work and life as an integrated piece right it's not discrete sometimes the work element is higher sometimes the life element is higher so as an example my younger son is back on vacation he's going back to his uni on on, on friday night saturday morning so i've decided that you know i'm going to work at home for the next you know two or three days just because i just want to spend more time with him so i think it's the hybrid environment and the post covid environment is a fantastic opportunity for women colleagues overall colleagues to be able to balance their life in a format which is customizable and works for them so you know your kids have got exams you may decide that you know i'm going to sit at home father or mother i'm going to you know work with them and then i'm going to you know work from home you know the 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 life element is going to go up a bit there are times when you have deadlines when you have you know things to get out of the way the work element comes out of the way so i i think the future of work is in the appreciation of what work and life and the importance of both of them in your life gets integrated in a manner and organizations enable it by actually being understanding of the circumstances and saying okay we are saying you know two to three days a week but if you come back and tell us there is some event that is happening that requires me to be at home for the next for week 10 days that organizations are flexible enough to say okay that's fine and i think this works very well for women which for right or for wrong you know one of the reasons for the 9% participation rate i assume is because a disproportionate amount of home care responsibilities fall on women and and i think during covid of course that got super exacerbated but but i i i think this is a fantastic opportunity for 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 women more than i guess men to actually truly embrace those organizations which are flexible not just in word but 
in meaning and in spirit and actually encourage you to say this and you know we we have you know women who we promote for example while they are on maternity leave and i'm not trying to you know tout you know that as some you know grand thing that kpmg is doing but i think again it's people see these actions and they feel actually this is what inclusiveness is about you know it's not about you know just the articulated word is not just about the you know things that you're saying is not just the logos you put up on the screen and all of that kind of stuff so i think again hybrid has given a i think a unique opportunity to you know truly for example if you think of the commute time that gets cut out on the days that you actually don't come into work for a lot of people that is just yes. so many more hours back into your life to do what it is that you want to do absolutely no question and i love what you said about it's it's really now uh i think when it when it when we look at the future of work the organizations that that are successful in attracting women are the ones who truly practice inclusion not just in word as you said but also in spirit that spirit has to be seen and felt in in every sense of the word because you're right there are many who have flexible policies in place but sometimes women may feel uncomfortable taking advantage of them because there is this fear of will i be judged or will i be will i face absolutely. retaliation of some kind absolutely for taking advantage absolutely correct So speaking of work life balance now to change gears Samir how are you creating work life balance for yourself because i see you as a conscious leader you put out very thoughtful messages and posts on on linkedin for example you you have these deep reflections and you connect from from sometimes from popular culture to life to leadership so how are you creating time and space in your day for these reflections and for you to be able to show up as a conscious leader no oh, I, i i guess you know and, and and looks like there's a mutual admiration club here right i'm telling you how much i like your videos and you're telling yeah. me about how you like the post anyway <laughs> so the 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 point is that well i guess age perspective whatever you call it i i guess i can correlate what is happening in real life with you know corporate situations and you know and and, and i think linkedin is a useful medium to propagate thoughts out but but for me i think i actually truly love what i do so i really enjoy work and it 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 doesn't really you know i don't have to drag myself out to get to do it and i i actually look forward to it in fact the part that i miss the most is you know walking the halls and meeting people and i'm i'm a kind of a you know management by walking around kind of a leader so i miss that part because you know in a teams call you i i do call up people at random but it's not the same of just you know walking around casually talking to people and i guess i enjoy reading and you know i enjoy walking i i enjoy i enjoy watching movies so for me my idea of uh, downtime is is essentially one of these three activities and you know as i said i enjoy work i enjoy my life element as well and i don't view them as two totally distinct you know entities i i kind of view them as something which is part of who i am it's it's we are all composite right i and we are we are made up of certain elements and that's the way i at least Mm. So for you it's very much work life integration not so much yeah, it, not it, it is it is because quite honestly the fact that I'm I have and I'm fortunate to have a nice life reflects on my work the fact that I'm you know enjoying myself at work enables me to bring that side back into my life and as I said you know you know I hope everybody is in jobs which they enjoy but 
you know work does enable a lot of your life and i i think sometimes it's it's important not to lose sight of that and i'm not talking necessarily of corporate work you could be doing anything you could be doing an entrepreneurship thing you could be like you are an entrepreneur or you could think of you know being in a you know in an ngo or something i'm my experiences and my life experience come from corporates but i do feel that you know both have an equally important role to play and, and hybrid has amplified that multifold right and i think that is really fantastic so i think this whole thing about you know having to check your personal life at the door when you walk into office and then get back to your personal life i think that line has blurred completely and has you know blended into you know one continuum very true very true samir my last question to you before i let you go for us the way we define conscious leadership it's very much about the values that you consciously choose to live with and express in your day to day in your work in your leadership everywhere and and in fact you said something similar about how every leader has to be mindful of the shadow that they that they cast so i'd i'd love to know from you samir what are one or two of these core values that are absolutely central to who you are and how you show up each day so so i'd say authenticity is for sure one of them humility I guess ironically enough I'm not sure if you say that you're humble are you really humble or you're not but I think <laughs> humility is definitely a value I I I kind of you know hold close to my heart I think people centricity is yes. very fundamental to who I am and then and, and one thing again which I tell colleagues in the organization all the time is that I believe in leading not just from my head but from my heart so I'm not afraid of showing emotion I'm not afraid of you know like I said people need people react to emotions they of course react to intellect but people as human beings generally react to emotions better so i'm very comfortable about leading with the head and the heart and this is something i tell everybody that somehow we always feel that you come into an office space and it's supposed to be only intellect it's not supposed to be about you know the emotional aspect of people so i think if i was to talk about some of my attributes and i think the last thing i would say is i'm not afraid to say i don't know but i want to mm. you know people who work with me know i'm innately curious right i i can ask many many questions and because i feel that's the only way to get clarity and so i'm not afraid to say like i said i don't know but i do want to know so that's i guess the way i would think of myself lovely samir thank you for being an ally thank you for championing compassionate leadership because that is exactly what we need more of to create a better future for for everyone not just for women so i just want to acknowledge you for for doing that and uh, yeah for, for for showing up as a role model for all of us you you are too kind thank you and you know good luck with shiromics and you know the content you keep posting out i'm sure you inspire so many you know people out there women or men and uh, you know so good luck with that thank you so much thank you so yeah. much Thank you for listening. I hope you found the conversation to be insightful. If you did, please do leave us a review as that would be most helpful in helping others discover this podcast as well. To learn more about the work that we do, please go to shinomics.com. We look forward to having you tune in again for future episodes. Until then, may you be well, may you be happy, and may you be at peace. Like this Sochcast Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.